Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians here in Port St. Lucie. We're so glad that you've tuned in today to the show. Hope you can stay with us for the next hour. We're on this morning until 10 o'clock. And normally, since we're a live call-in show normally, we would invite your participation in the show. But today, uh, you're listening to a recording made a few days ago because me, Mike Schmidt, has to be out of town. My, one of my granddaughters is getting married this week. I've only got 12 more to go after this. I have 14 granddaughters, Gary, and only have 12 more to go <laughs> after this one. So it's going to be hectic the next few years, I imagine, but we're going to be gone uh, for a few days. And we made this recording a few days ago, so you can't call in right now. But you can still text you us. You can text us. I'll give you the text numbers. You can text me, Mike, at 772-260-6120, and you can text Gary uh, Jones at 772-260-6220, and we'll be glad to talk to text back and forth with you during the week or even during the show uh, when we're live, and we'll try to incorporate your thoughts into the show as we go along. People do that all the time. But normally we would be a, we're a live call-in show, and so next week when we're back on the air, Lord willing, you can call in to talk to us, and we'd love for you to do that. We Are Just Christians is a show about just being a New Testament Christian here in the 21st century, getting past, beyond, and around all of the man-made traditions and other religious ordinances that have crept in through the centuries, and just returning to what the New Testament says the church was like, what the church ought to be doing, and what you ought to be doing as a Christian, or talking to you about becoming a Christian. This show is oftentimes about that. So we're trying to be just Christians here. And so, therefore, it may sound odd to you some things we say. But and really, how that works is we're trying to point you back to the Scriptures to find the answers to the things that need to be discussed. Right, Gary? Right. And exactly one of the passages that I keep reading all the time that I hope you've got underlined in your Bible and maybe even memorized by now is John twelve forty eight: He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Now, those last few words are very important. If you're listening to us here or you're reading the Bible or you're attending church, you expect to face God on a judgment day. And this word that Jesus spoke through, his, through himself while he was in the Gospels and through his apostles later on, as we learn, will be the standard by which we'll be judged. Right. And, and we need to understand that. And basically, you need to understand it for yourself from the Scripture. That's my, that's my view. That, that's exactly right. And that takes a lot of effort. <coughs> now, you don't have to start. It's not about being a Bible scholar before you can start this journey. You can start with a simple faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, you can start before that. We, we've encouraged people to call this show who aren't even believers because we believe we can point you into the evidences that show you how that you ought to be a believer that Jesus Christ is God's son and then based on that how to become a Christian and once you start down that road you're starting down the road to simply trying to find out what Jesus says that'll change your whole life but it the does Holy Spirit begins to work on you through his word and it's going to change you but it does take a diligent seeking of God's word right you're right and so many people are lackadaisical and they let other people do all the thinking for them now all of us need guidance from time to time don't misunderstand, and we need help from people that may know more than we do about a particular subject. But that doesn't relieve you as a, as a, uh, a non-clergy. We're going to talk about that today. 
person from the responsibility of examining God's Word for yourself. That's what Gary's trying to say here. Exactly. And so that's what this show is about. And so if you call in or when you contact us, we're going to try to give you some scriptures, from the, uh, uh, Bible scriptures about the answer to your question or in response to your comment. And we expect you, as uh, you expect us, to be fair and treat it with, with, treat it with respect, treat the Word of God with respect, and then come up with, this, with a plain reading of the Bible to know what to do about it. And one of the, one of the things that uh, I would say that would be a good place to start, or at least one of the things that you should be looking at, is when you're attending at a certain place and, a certain, and you've been there for a long time, you need to understand what they are teaching there. Right. So you, often it's just about enjoying the performance. That exactly. Goes on. You need to understand what's being taught as the Word of God there, and is does it match the Scripture? And if it doesn't, then maybe you should consider being somewhere else. else right. right. Exactly right. Okay. Well, uh, I spoke last uh, Sunday, Gary, on this topic of pastors and preachers, and we talked about the idea of. Uh, who is a pastor, what the Bible says about that, because it's about the most common title among Protestants anyway that people use for these, the speakers, the preachers, and teachers in their assemblies. And the, the guy that runs most Protestant churches is a pastor. I get called a pastor all the time and so forth. And so we talked about that along with the idea of who are bishops then, what are these bishops in the Bible or overseers and elders, who are they? Gary and I are elders in the church here. Is that different than a pastor or a bishop? And what should you be calling these people? Which brings up the other issue of, uh, is it right to call people by titles like reverend or father and things like that? And, and since what you learn from them seems to be centered around the role they're playing, which is essentially part of how we give them names today, we don't necessarily go back to the scripture and what we're trying to do is go back to the scripture where do those names come what, from what do they mean How and do what do they mean what it look like what did it look like in new testament times to be a right. pastor or a bishop or whatever or an evangelist. evangelist and so then there's this other thing then is, is this is all based partly we say all of it most of it's based on this idea which is just an undercurrent in uh, in religion both catholic and protestant christianity that there's a distinction between the clergy and the laity as such. And in some of the high churches like Catholic and, and Lutheran and Episcopalian, that distinction is pretty, pretty, pretty stark. And some of the low churches, as they're called sociological, like Baptists and so forth, Pentecostal, those distinctions are less so. But most people have this idea that there's this distinction between clergy and laity. What does the Bible say about that? That's the question we ask. What's the Bible say about that? Most people never even ask that question, Gary. And so right. they just go along. And, and I can't blame them for that. Most people are, are, are just trying to do something that is good when they become a Christian or they go to a church, they find a church that they like, they learn something. They're trying to do what's good and right. We're not here to condemn you or anything like that. The point is, though, uh, once you begin that journey, you, you need to take responsibility for what really is being taught. Well, that journey and what lasts. You accept. Right, and that journey lasts a lifetime. I can tell you, basically, uh, it takes almost an entire lifetime to understand much of what's in the Scripture. I mean, you, it can be understood. Don't get me wrong. Right. You can read it and understand it. Paul says that, but it takes a while, and, and it takes a certain amount of built-up knowledge of what's in the Scripture to begin to have a clearer understanding of what Paul and a lot of the apostles are saying. 
Well, let, let me give an, let me get tell a little story real quickly to kind of kick this off, Gary. It, it's, it's on the side of what we're talking about. Some years ago, well, it's happened many times, uh, the same type of thing. But I remember this one more. I was talking to a couple of young boys on black pants and white shirts riding bicycles, um, Mormons, you know, and they came by and we were talking, and um, they had these name tags on. Elder Johnson, Elder Bailey, something like that. That's what their name tag said. I knew the word elder. I knew they didn't each have a first name, elder. That was a title they were wearing, <laughs> Elder Johnson. And so they they introduced themselves to me in that way, Elder Johnson, Elder, elder Bailey or something. And I said, how can you fellas, both of you 18 years old, how can you be called elders? I said, and the Bible says elders have to be married. Are you married? They said, no, we're single. And now their response was something like, well, um, that what you say is true, but you have elders and bishops confused. The Bible says that bishops must be married, not elders, and elders must simply be wise people. And so God's given us wisdom, even though we're only 18, so we're elders. That's the Mormon answer to this. Bishops and elders are different from each other. So even though the word elder means older, uh, they say they don't have to be old to do this. So are they correct? You know, that's the answer. Are, 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 I, we went and had a long discussion about that. I told them they were not correct about that. And I showed them, uh, uh, go, go back here. Let's start with the scripture in 1 Peter 5. Uh, I don't know if you've got that up there, Gary. But okay, let me, let me pull. Uh, I'll, you pull it up while I'll start reading it. Here's 1 Peter 5. Now, of course, Peter, keep in mind here something, especially you Roman Catholics who are listening to the show today. This is the apostle Peter who was who is proclaimed by the Catholic Church to be the first pope, the bishop above all the archbishops and so forth in this hierarchy in the Catholic Church, who was a married man, by the way, because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. But it says, he says, Peter does, the elders who are among you I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder, not the pope. He doesn't say he calls himself the pope. He calls himself a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Tend or shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers or bishops in the King James Version, not by compulsion but willingly and so forth. And he, he said, so he says, and then he goes on to say in verse uh, 5, or verse 4, excuse me, he goes on to say that when the chief shepherd appears, and in Greek that's arch shepherd appears, like archbishop, <coughs> you'll be, receive the crown of lot, glory that doesn't fade away. So here you have the word elder. Peter says, you're, some of you are elders. I'm an elder with you in the same way that you are. And he tells the elders to shepherd or feed or pastor, the old English word pasture. You put sheep on a pasture and you pasture them. That's the word for shepherding them. You shepherd the flock of God. And then he says you act as an overseer or episkopos, that's somebody. That's like the shepherd that looks out over the flock and makes sure everything's going well. So here, and that word is translated bishop in the King James Version. So here are all three offices, elders, pastors, pastors and bishops, bishops in First Peter. And these are treated by Peter as exactly the same person in this verse. Now, this isn't the only place in the New Testament like that, that these three as it were, office. And we'll look at what they mean, what these words mean in just a moment. But and the only chief one he mentions is yeah, the Jesus. only Jesus. The only right. one who's higher than an elder is not an arch. It's not a bishop. It's not higher. 
the Mormon church, the elders are on one level and the bishops are higher. In, in some of the other churches in Protestant areas, the bishops are higher. And then you've got subdeacons and deacons. You've got archbishops. You've got cardinals. You've got all manner of prelates. You've got all these different offices. In the New Testament, you have the flock of God, and then you have the elders over the flock as overseers taking care of them and feeding them properly. And above that, the only thing you have in the New Testament is Jesus Christ himself, who is right. the chief shepherd. Now, that is, that's stunning to most people. And if you think about the implications of that, uh, you're going to have to come away and take a look at the structure of the church that you're a part of because their structure is simply not found at all in the New Testament and the synods and councils of the bishops and all the other executives. It just isn't found. We don't even have any indication of a chief pastor or a, a lead pastor or whatever they want to call them today, much less... Uh, and certainly no indication of one pastor over a church. Yeah, there are, it's, it's always plural. They're always referred to as plural, the elder. I point elders in every city. And so these are some of the problems that come up when you do a plain reading of the New Testament about this. Now, before we go any further, I'm going to forget to say it. The Catholic Church has an answer to this, Gary, that we talked about before. When you, talk, when you read Catholic literature, and I'm not trying to just criticize Roman Catholics. I'm trying to make a point. They say, yes, uh, it's true that in the New Testament there weren't these other offices and bishops and elders were the same. But the New Testament is like an embryo. And so it took time to develop. And what you see developing in the next thousand years after the beginning of the church was the development of the embryo into a full-fledged body. And so they teach the doctrine of development. And they therefore believe that you can't take the New Testament at face value because you have to have the traditions of the, of the church and of the popes and so forth and councils to understand what the New Testament really means. And even so, they would admit that I'm correct about what I'm saying about these offices in New Testament times. But they would say in the centuries that followed, it would change. Now, I, I dispute that, first of all, because they've got Peter being the first pope, and he was there in the first century, and things hadn't developed yet, right? So that's a little bit of a problem to them, but that's the general, that's the answer that's given. It's not that they ignored this issue. I think a lot of Protestant denominations, though, simply built on the customs and traditions without even thinking through this, it seems like, of the past. And most people that go to those churches and around here and everywhere else in the world haven't thought through what these things mean, or they're willing to say, well, yeah, I know it was like that in New Testament times, but... <laughs> Always that word, but now things are different, right? Well, I know it was that way the, the, then. That but can now be said. Things are different. If that's the logic, that can be used in any way against anything that's said, and you can do what exactly. and you usually, do whatever you want to do, and you can do whatever you want to do. Now, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? Basically, Mike, when you can do everything, then nothing is really required. It basically, God doesn't tell you anything if you can do everything. Exactly. There's no. There's no charge. There's no requirement. Yet God says, basically, the gospel was once for all delivered during that time. And Paul says, I am amazed that you are so soon teaching another gospel. How do you know what another gospel is? Paul says, if you teach any other gospel than what he taught during that first century, you're not teaching the gospel. Exactly. So... We have to keep coming back to their 
there's more than one passage that generally deal. You know, one of the things that I and I'm chasing. Forgive me, Mike. I want to chase a rabbit here for just a second. In when Jesus was tempted by Satan, and I don't have it right here in front of me, but basically I'm going to have to deal with my memory as quickly. Satan told him to cast himself down that God would send the angels to keep him from stumbling and falling. And basically he quoted a passage from, I believe it's from the Psalms. That basically I think it's Psalm 90. I don't look it up exactly, but I think it is. But he quoted a passage which, which really, taking that passage alone, implied that that's what God would do. If you took that Psalm passage alone, you might expect God to do just that. And yet Jesus said, replied to Satan, again it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. What did Jesus just do? He took a second passage and he used it to modify the meaning of the first passage or to limit the meaning of the first passage. And that's what we encounter throughout the, uh, New, the New Testament scriptures. Right. We have to understand that there are passages that tell us some things and then there are other passages that may limit or expand the meaning of those passages and we have to understand both to understand what God is really telling us and that's that's why we say when you don't see elders bishops or you know pastors used in singular those passages imply that it all during that period what God was intending was that they be plural in nature right and they and they were initially Historically, we know this. Historically, historically we know they were. Whatever whatever denomination the historian is a part of, he will admit initially they were they were plural and they were all the same. But but here's a quote from the Baptist Manual that illustrates this idea, uh, Gary. It's not about elders; it's about baptism, about whether baptism is saves you. And here, here this is from the Baptist Manual by Edward T. Hiscock, which is from the mid 1900s. He says, here, here it is, it is most likely that in the apostolic age when there was but, quote, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. He's quoting Ephesians 4. Right. When there was but one Lord, one faith, and one baptism in the apostolic age, and no differing denominations existed, that the baptism of a convert by that very act made him a member of the church and at once endowed him with all the rights and privileges of full membership. In that sense, he says, baptism was a door into the church. So he says, in the, initially in New Testament times, when there was but one church and so forth, that baptism was the door into the church. But here's the next phrase. But now it is different. And while churches are desirous of receiving new members, they are wary and cautious and so forth, and so they make them give their experience and they have a vote on the members and all that kind of thing. So the premise is, we know what it was like in the first century but we're, we don't do it that way now because things are different. So how, how is that consistent with what Paul says in Galatians 1.6? I marvel that you are turning away so soon to him from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not right. another. But there are some who troubled you and want to pervert the gospel. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Right. And you, I can go. I've got a whole series. So of these Paul, same Paul, kind of is, Paul is right. saying what he's telling you is not going to change. Right. Well, he, so how, right. how so how do we get a change? But, but out here, of it? well, here's what here's what uh, Arthur Stanley, a very famous church historian, said in Christian Institutions. 
commenting on the change from immersion in baptism to sprinkling. He was commenting on how, he, he detailed how that changed from in immersion only in New Testament times. Very clear about that. I think he's a Baptist. But he, very clear it was only immersion at that time, but it changed later to sprinkling. He says, this is a striking example of the triumph of common sense and convenience over the bondage of form and custom. It shows how the spirit which lives and moves in human society can override even the most sacred ordinances. So this spirit that lives and moves in human society can override the most sacred ordinances. And that's exactly what God warns us not to let happen, isn't it? Exactly. But the historian says this is, this is how it works. Now, th there's plenty of other things like that. I don't want to get off the subject too far. But what I was trying to point out is that people don't question why they're calling the leaders of their churches and how they're, uh, what they do and how the churches are even structured or organized and what the jobs are. And then we come up with all these megachurch pastors like we talked about last week that are getting burnt out and having to check themselves in the mental hospitals and committing adultery because they've taken on jobs as a single person, one man that was not meant for them, and they've usurped all this other stuff going on. So uh, in any event, they're not following God's pattern. It's hard enough to do these things when you follow God's pattern, much less if you're not following the pattern. And so you have this other reading, going back to the text, Gary, in Ephesians 4. Christ, it's talking about Christ giving gifts to men. And he, gave himself, and he himself gave some to be apostles. Uh, Ephesians 4.11, I'm sorry, I'm reading from there. Some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and so forth. So here you have four, uh, what is it, four or five different things. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, five things. So I know that evangelists and pastors are different works as it were gifts that have been given by Christ among the other we could talk about the apostles and prophets and of course some churches have these apostles and, and that really isn't in the purview of what we're talking about this this morning but I know that the evangelist is not the same as the pastor and he uses of course pastors here is plural and so what does this mean are evangelists and pastors different offices or are they are they the same work well, the evangelist is a bringer of good tidings or good news based on the word. The word evangel is the Greek word we get as gospel. And so these are gospelers, are heralds, as it were, preachers. Preachers are the people that publicly proclaim this good message. I'm just using, kind of giving you a brief summary of some of the Greek definitions. It doesn't tell you in the New Testament, though, that to be an evangelist or a preacher, you have to be married with faithful children and that you have to be have all these other characteristics of age. It gives you no requirements for any of that other characteristics except that you be preaching and teaching what the Scriptures teach. Be faithful to the Word. That's, and you can read First, Second Timothy in the book of Titus, some of Paul's letters where he wrote to these different evangelists and preachers and told them what kind of men they ought to be. They couldn't be quarrelsome and so forth. But there's no single list of qualifications of an evangelist or a preacher, but there is of a pastor or pastors or bishops or elders. Yes. You see, that, that's the big difference here. And so for sake of time, we can come back to some of this, but Paul, uh, elder pastor, elders, pastors, and bishops are the big ones that uh, get confused. 
are they the same office or are they three different offices? In the Protestant world today, depending on the denomination you're part of, and, and I'm talking about all different kinds, most of, the, most of the denominations distinguish between the office of an elder, the office of a pastor, and the office of a bishop. And I'm not even considering deacons. That's another whole subject. But they distinguish those, Gary, and they make them into three different ones, or they certainly um, may combine with the elder and the bishop or something, but they, they don't consider them to be the same thing. Now, once again, what questions should you ask about this, pro this whole thing? What does the Bible say about this? What's the teaching of the Bible? Does the Bible distinguish between elders, pastors, and bishops? So when you go to your church this morning or wherever you may be going next week, and you got the pastor, the pastor, no, notice I'm saying the pastor. The Bible says there's more than one in local churches. We'll see in a moment. Why isn't he a bishop? Do you even have bishops in your church? Do you, do you have elders in your church? You see, that's the questions that should be coming up. And, and so what do these different words mean? Well, well. Go ahead, and I'll no, no, get another I, I, scripture I, I, I look at. I, I want to say one thing, that, that there are qualifications given for those uh, those men in those positions that are certain, you know, like they have to be married, they have to manage their household well, they have to, you know, not be quarrelsome, they have to, you know, uh, we could go on with the list if we wanted to look at those. But they're also told how they're to do those jobs, and I, I want to make that clear too. And I want to go back to First Peter 5. When he's talking about, you know, you mentioned the shepherd, the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. There are some more requirements. That's how they're to do their job. Right. And, and we miss that, too. Uh, you and know. He's using the, when he talks about a flock, he's using the picture of a pastor or a shepherd. Right, or a group, and a given group. A group of them, of people, under the image of a, a pa of a shepherd taking care of the sheep, and he does so not with a whip, but with love and, pa and, and compassion and so forth, not as the CEO of a comp corporation. Or the, these or pastors today are CEOs of, of small corporations, small businesses, Gary, and that's why they get burned out. Or, or as a military commander. Exactly, y ordering everybody around. It says, but being examples to the flock. He says, here's one that I think you would have liked to have quoted to those young men on their bicycles. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves. Submit to to your, yourselves. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if I did or not, but that'd be right. He tells the young people to submit to the young. So I know there's a difference between young people and elders in right. the New Testament, right? And Right, and be clothed with humility. How many times have we said humility was the quality the that key. God looked for? It's the key. It, and so we see these things, and, and often we don't make note of them, but they're in different places. They're not all lumped together in one place. Wow. You have to read several passages it's to understand this. this. This is a Bible principle of, of study that, that, that Mike, I, I can't seem to emphasize too much that people don't do. I have observed people not doing this. We focus on one passage, take that one passage, and make whatever we want to out of it. Uh, so, you know, I, and I'll, I'll... They have to fit together. Yeah, go back. I, I just had to bring that up before we got too far because there are more things here to well, what right. these men well, are than just, just their title. When you go back and look at the qualifications, for example, in Titus chapter 1, 
in verse 5, Paul tells Titus in Titus 1.5, For this reason I left you in Crete, on the island of Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. So you appoint elders, plural, in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Now, the, the Mormon fellows were trying to tell me those are two different men there. But when you read the passage... It's not two different It's people. not two different people at all. The elders are the bishops. The word bishop there just means overseer. And the elders were to oversee. And if a man's going to be an overseer, he must be this way uh, as a steward of God. So he's not talking about... To, in the context, it's very clear. For the reason he, the reason the elder has to be this way, is because bishops have to be this way. It's the same person in Titus one, and, and yet they were making. And, and, and trouble is, they can go out Gary into communities and they can say this. When anybody challenges that, they give them that answer, and people nod their head and say, "Oh yeah, okay," because they. They've never actually read what the verse says and looked at it to see what does it really mean. They've not challenged it or taken a look at it. But we're trying to get you and listen to this program to think, think through that and, and as it were, to, uh, to challenge that and see what it really should be. So uh, there's a couple of other passages that go along with this, uh, with this very idea of them being um, the same office if you go over to Acts chapter 20, here we have Paul traveling. He'd been in the city of Ephesus, which is in what we now know of as Turkey. Paul had established a church there and had appointed elders there, and he traveled on. He was coming back that way, it says, a little sometime later, going to Jerusalem, trying to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost. So he didn't want to go. Ephesus is inland. They have a seaport, Miletus, on the, on the coast. He's traveling by ship. So he come to Miletus, and he sent, it says in verse 17 of Acts 20, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So he calls for the elders, presbyteros. And when, he had, when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, and so forth. And so he tells them then to uh, do all, he says it to watch and take care of things. Right. And then later on he says to them, just a few verses later, verse 28. Yeah, but I want to point out one right. thing. He says the elders of the, the church. church. It's plural of the one church, church. church. One church, one plural elders. elders. That's exactly, thank you for pointing that out. That's exactly correct. I meant to do that. But when he gets the, when he sends, he sends to Ephesus and calls for the elders. When he gets them there, notice what he says when he gets them there. Therefore, verse 28 of Acts 20. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops or overseers. New King James says shepherd, overseers. Overseers to shepherd or feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And he goes on to talk about the savage wolves would come in. I know this, he says, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among your own cells, among the elders, men will arise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. You know, this apostasy or changing things that happened after the apostles died, this is the very thing that Paul's talking about here. Notice this, though. He, he sends and he calls for the elders of the church. When they come there, he says that they, have, that they are bishops or overseers. And he tells those bishops or overseers to pastor or shepherd the flock of God. Now, 
if if bishops and elders are different from each other, and if bishop, if elders and pastors are different from each other, when Paul sent for the elders, he wouldn't have got any pastors, would he? He would only have got elders. If bishops and the elders were different, he only would have got elders and no bishops. But when Paul gets them there, he uses all three words in the same passage. To describe Sometimes those. as a noun, sometimes as a verb, to describe mm-hmm. the very many calls elders. And so Gary Jones and I here are the elders of this local church. We don't have any authority, nor do we want any authority over any other church in South Florida or in the world. We're to take heed to the flock which is among us, Peter says, and so we do that, this group here. And we are not only the elders of the church, but we are the pastors of the church, and we are the bishops or overseers of the church. And But we can't use that word overseer or superintendent as if we're slave masters because he tells the overseers that they're to treat the people they're overseeing like a flock of sheep who need their care. Oh, we'll come back to that. But the point is, uh, Gary, uh, for years, uh, I, I've been doing this for 45 years, since 1975, I think that's 45 years. And a lot of that time, I was a young man working in churches and people called me Pastor Mike all the time, or Pastor. And I didn't object to that in a bad way. I knew they were doing it out of respect, and I appreciated that. But that was actually, I did usually try to eventually correct the error. Because I wasn't a pastor. I was an evangelist or a preacher. I was a minister in their words, not the elder. I had a couple of churches I worked at had elders, plural elders, older men, who were were the overseers of the church, and they, they brought me in to do the teaching and preaching. So I worked as a preacher evangelist with elders, but I wasn't a pastor. They were the pastors. Now, uh, some years back, I think it was 2004, 2005, you and I were appointed elders here. This was here. about 2004. Yeah, you and I were appointed elders here in this church based on the qualifications. The congregation thought we met the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. And so since we used God's word to determine the qualifications, then God appointed us to this work. Now, so technically today you could call me a pastor because I am a pastor and you're a pastor. Or a bishop. Or a bishop or an elder. We usually use the term elder here for whatever reason. Because we, we are. The, we are, but we, <laughs> could, we could use the other interchangeably. I know churches that do that. But the point is, uh, we, but we still don't go by Elder Gary or Pastor Gary or Pastor Mike because those are religious titles that people wear. But the, the, and one Even of the, though we are doing that work. And one of the real points here is, though, is, is I'm going to go back to Ephesians 4. What is the purpose of all of these things that were appointed? You said some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what these right. things are for. We saw from First Peter 5, that it's done by example. It's none by. It's not done by lording it over the flock, but done by example. It's done by teaching. It's for the purpose of edifying, to bring the group together. And so it's really important to remember this. It's not just something that you say that the work of a pastor or an elder or a bishop is the work of teaching the word of God, God. in a practical way where people live, down where people live and guiding people's lives so that they are uh, ed- being built up in the spirit of the Lord. A- and I will sa- t- say to you, based on my reading and my experience, that 
th that huge numbers, if not the majority of people that are doing this work of a pastor in their view in denominations have become CEOs of small corporations or fundraisers in, the in there. They're not fundamentally trying to do the work of teaching. They're organizing different things and pr creating programs and this and that and the other. They're not doing the work that pastors are supposed to be doing. In fact, the word for pastor and counselor are very close to each other. I had a Baptist a preacher who was a friend of mine. I lived in another city. This was years ago. He and I became friends doing some work on the drug task force and other things for the community. And we talked about many different things. Real good guy. And he one day he, uh, we were talking about something about church. And he says, boy, he says, you know, he says, I really envy you. I said, what's, why, why is that, Bob? He said, well, he says, from what I can tell what you're saying over the time I've known you, he said, you spend most of your time teaching people the Bible. And I said, well, well yeah. He said, he says, I don't. I thought I would be. But he said, I end up being a business. I'm running a business. I'm a fundraiser, and I'm trying to raise funds for the business to keep operating. And he said, so most of my time is spent with committees and other things like that and not teaching. And he, he was kind of upset about it in a way. And, and that's when it first really dawned on me the difference that I didn't really see before because I'd never been in pastor as it were in a Baptist those church. But, but when you get, and he was in a fairly small church, when you go and get in the big church, and I was reading an article today about this, about this pastor burnout and all that stuff on the churchleaders.com blog, and it was about that subject that the pastor cannot be the teacher because he has so many other things going on he has to do for the church. The pastor, there it is, for the church, and what he never really addressed the issue, which is what does the Bible say the work of it's a pastor is? It's supposed to be is? edifying the body of yes. Christ. Now, I'll say this, Mike. I believe that if he was edifying the body of Christ, he wouldn't have to worry about the funding because he would teach how the <laughs> yeah. first how the first century church I, I got its funds. That, that's right. But but see that's and the, everybody that's would problem. understand how the first century and how the church today should get its funds. And, and from reading the article and having lived this life myself, I can tell you that the problem with that is people don't people don't go into uh, really I'll say religious ministry in the broad way of that. They don't go in that to be a fundraiser or, or, or a committee chairman. They go in that because they want to help people and teach God's word, right? But when they get in there, they find out, and especially in the larger churches and the way it's run today by modern, it's a business model that's put forth in churches. But the New Testament never puts forth as far as how it's supposed to be structured. Oh, well, you have to they be get burned out because they're not doing what they thought they would be doing, and it doesn't suit them. So I would ask you, Mike, how much of our time do we spend fundraising? Very tiny bit. Very tiny bit. Of course, bit. we don't have the amount of, we, we don't raise the amount of funds people do. Right. We're not doing the same kinds of things to get more numbers and to, and to become bigger and more powerful and do this and do that. And a lot of the work that they're trying to do, it's not, found, it's not the work of the church from the New Testament. And so See, that's another that's thing. Another, that's it's another whole <laughs> thing, cart before the horse, everything gets fouled. Well, that's part of what I'm trying to say. If you were really going back to the New Testament and trying to understand what you should be teaching for the edifying of the body of Christ, that we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Now, I'm reading from Ephesians 4, right. that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. Oh, by the way, it's not the same today as it was back yeah, then. Yeah, sure. 
this this is this is the thing if we were teaching these things we wouldn't have to worry about those things mm-hmm. I, I am i missing something here no i think that's exactly right it, it it works together now there's always going to be problems and that's why god did not a, god selected a certain type of person to be the leader of leaders of local churches and they are the men who who are mature that's the word for elder presbyteros and that means a, a, an elder of age, a senior, as it were, and of Christians. I'm quoting from the Greek lexicon, those who presided over the assemblies of churches. The New Testament uses the term bishop, elders, and presbyters interchangeably. Even the lexicon says what I'm telling you is true about the interchangeable use of these words. words. But it connotes wisdom, maturity, and age. God didn't put... When I first started preaching, Gary, over in a local church down south of here in 1975, I was 22 years old. I'd been married for three months, and a church asked me to come and teach. Well, you know, that was a big response, but I can't believe they did that looking back on it. I know, I know too many 22-year-olds now. Yeah, but, but, think, but think about it for a minute. There were elders there that would be over. They're older, wiser men. There, they would yes. be looking over what you were teaching. And they did do that. Yes, it's exactly. They wanted me to do a lot of that, uh, all the going out and visiting legwork, but we were working together, and I was the evangelist, they were the elders. And that's how it worked in all the churches I've been at in many ways. And yet, and yet there was another one I was at, which was mostly young people, where even in, the, in my um, you know, late 30s, early 40s, I was the old, one of the oldest people there. And that situation didn't go as well, you know, because there was this lack of maturity there, and you can't always change that but but elder means maturity then a pastor the word pastor comes into the english from the greek word poimain 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 which is a a noun and a verb which means to shepherd to feed to pastor a herdsman and so metaphorically as it were the overseers of christian assemblies and so forth uh, that's the word it's only used really once in that same way as a noun in ephesians 4 the verse i read initially god gave Christ gave pastors to the church. It's used in the verb form to shepherd or to feed in two or three other places in connection with elders and bishops. But listen to this, this side point. I thought it was interesting. I ran across this the other day. I don't know how I missed it all these years. In the Greek lexicon, that the tasks of a Middle Eastern shepherd at the time of the Bible were to watch for enemies trying to attack the sheep. Didn't Paul tell those elders to watch Watch. over the flock, right? Right. To defend the sheep from attackers, using the word of God, I would say. To heal the wounded and sick sheep. That's the work of a counselor using God's word and their own wisdom to heal the sheep. To find and save the lost or trapped sheep. And to love the sheep, sharing their lives and so earning their trust. So so that they would follow the shepherd. See, shepherds don't drive the sheep with a cattle prod. That's what you do for cattle. Shepherds lead, and they have to gain the trust of the sheep, so the sheep will follow them. Just like going back to First uh, so, Peter five, they lead by they teach and lead by being examples to the flock. Right. Now, this word bishop, which is the sa- another word used to describe the same group of men in a local church, is the word. It's an o- it's it's overseer in modern English, not bishop, as the newer versions will say overseer. King James says bishop. Some other older versions. Because Why is that? Well, that's because the Anglican Church, which developed the King James Version of the Bible, already had offices they called bishops in place, and so they just put that word. But literally, 
before you object to that, let me just tell you, literally the word in Greek is episkopos, episkopos. We get the word episcopalian from that, by the way. Just like presbyteros for elder is the Presbyterian, Presbyterian. church. But, and that refers to their forms of organization. But these episkopos, epi in Greek is over, skopos, well, you can guess that. It means to look, telescope, you know, periscope, to look, scope something out. So you have episkopos. Well, what does that come into English? An overseer. And so it literally was, in any kind of situation, there was over. a man charged with overseeing the operation of building the pyramids or running a factory or, in this case, overseeing a church and the, member, and the members of the church. And he's, he becomes, a, we would say in our other ways, a superintendent. A superattendant is really how it is. A super is above attendant. He's, he's the man above everything looking out over it. That's the episcopos or the bishop. So... These elder men in a, in a group in a local church are to look out over the work that's being done over the people in their lives and then take care of them as a pastor or shepherd would do that. And so you see then um, the elder indicates maturity, spiritual experience, a bishop, the overseer, episkopos, is the one that indicates the character of the work being taken. His job is to watch out for the flock. He's not a fundraiser. He's not a cheerleader. He's to look out and take care of the sheep, the individual sheep, and provide for their feet. And then the pastor is the one who, who brings the sheep into the field to eat and takes care of them, make sure they have what they need. So as I would put it, these aren't religious titles, Bishop so-and-so. Bishop T.D. Jakes. These, These are, are functions. works, functions of what should be done. And yeah. so the, the work of overseeing a local church is done by a bishop who acts as a shepherd in the way he takes care of the work and a pa pastor and he's to have the character and maturity of an older man or an elder. So the elders who, he has to be an older man, the overseer is what he does, he oversees the flock and the pastor as a shepherd is how he does the work, tenderheartedly with compassion and care. And by, and, and, and by example, and with the ability to take on an attacker like a wolf or a thief, as Jesus taught us. So, so those are how those things all play out in the New Testament. And churches would do well to go back to that pattern of doing things. I, I have no hope that they ever will because uh, all these traditions, Gary, are hard to tear down. Oh, yeah. The hope we can have is that individual people will get tired of this kind of thing and go back to the Bible, which is what we're trying to emphasize on this show. And if you can add to our knowledge about this, we invite you to contact us, and we'll get some more information about that in a moment. But I think we should, we got about 10 or 12 minutes left, Gary. Well, I just want to go back to this idea of if what I'd recommend you do is look at what, wherever you attend, and it's fine with me wherever you attend, but what you need to do is understand what's being taught, who is teaching, what their qualifications are, and how they're doing the job, and what job and they're doing. And if they're doing. not teaching the kind of things we're reading here and doing it that way, then you need to think about what you're doing there and how well that's going to work out in the long run. Uh, and, and sometimes you can work through that, sometimes you can't. But I just think most people, and I don't mean this as a criticism at all, I'm just saying most people never really thought about that because they're, they're trying to do good, and I'm not trying to dump on people that are trying to do good, but they've never considered it. So they go along, and, and that's why I don't object when people call me 
pastor as a title because I know they don't mean harm by it. Maybe they don't mean harm by it. Usually they don't. But you know, Gary, there's the next thing I want to talk about is religious titles, and maybe it goes this way. Um, there's two problems with religious titles like bishop or reverend. Uh, this term reverend, I had uh, years ago, if I, to, I don't know if I told this story before, uh, when my wife was first expecting, we went to this doctor down in Fort Lauderdale. This was back when we were young, a young person. So go to the doctor. He's from, uh, now this is before Islam was a problem. He's from the University of Tehran. His name was Nasser, nice guy. And so he called me Reverend Schmidt because I saw in my paper I wrote in that I was a minister, Reverend Schmidt. I said, well, I don't go by titles. I said, I told him then, I said, God's name is Reverend and Holy. I'm, I'm not that. I'm a servant. And right. so he began to call me not Reverend Mike then. He, he laughed and he said, wow, I've never heard anything like that from a Christian, he says. He was stunned. He liked it. He said, I really like that because he, he thought that was interesting that a Christian pastor would not accept the title of the name, the name of God or Reverend and Holy is his name. Or technically a Christian evangelist. A Christian evangelist, yes. He wouldn't accept that. And so he was very struck by that. And then another time, so this is a few years later, I couldn't go to him anymore, insurance deals. I went to this one. I found a guy that would give uh, preachers 50% off of the bill. So we went there to have the baby. <laughs> okay, We get through all this stuff and other treatments and when he, when he calls me reverend, I said, I'm not a reverend. I said, I'm just a minister. I'm just a servant. And he said, basically, we had a little discussion. He says, well, basically, if you're not a reverend, you don't get the discount. And so I didn't get the discount because I wouldn't accept the title. To him, it was critical that I accept the title reverend. And here's the problem with this, Gary, is it goes both ways. Some people demand, listen, I, I got in a car with a Catholic priest uh, to do something. Well, that's a long story. I won't get involved in that. But I got in a car with him and some other people there. And uh, when I didn't call him Father So-and-So, I called him by his first name. He got very angry with me because he demanded that everybody call him, I think it was Right Reverend or some kind of title he had. That's a problem to me. I lost a lot of respect for him right there because he was putting himself over everybody else in the car and everybody all over. We didn't call him by a certain title. And then the other side of that goes this way, Gary. If, I, if, I, if you let people start giving you a title as if you're better than them, what happens to their heart? You know what happens? I'll tell you what I see happening. They begin to think, yeah, he's holy, but I don't have to be quite as good as he is. He's exalted. He's the reverend, but I don't have to be quite as good because I'm not the pastor. You see, and so you're actually doing people a great disservice when you accept these titles, and especially if you demand the titles because you're putting a distinction between them and you. Well, I've always had a problem with uh, the Catholics wanting to use the word father this and father that because I think Jesus even says we should not be calling. Yeah, I'm looking right at that verse right now. Yeah, go ahead and read that. Yeah, that, that? That's what you're getting. yeah, Jesus here in Matthew 23 verse 5 says, uh, here, I haven't got it in verse 5. He says, uh, speaking of the, of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they do all their works to be seen of men. They do it so people will see them, watch them, know them, big shot. Okay, now that, that is comparable to someone insisting on being called a mm -hmm. title that puts them and, above. And they wear special garments and clothes. He goes on to talk about that. He says they make their phylacteries broad. That's the things they wear 
on their head to distinguish them as being very religious. They enlarge the borders of their garments here. They have special garments that they wear. To make, and I saw this in Jerusalem when I was there, by the way. They love the best places at feasts. Oh, man, if you're the reverend, you've got to come up here to the front, you know. The best seats in the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplaces. Rabbi so-and-so. And they love to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi, as a title, Jesus is saying. But all their works they do to be seen of men. They make their, uh, he, he goes on to say, hang on, I, did, I didn't change the slide. Verse 8, but you do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher, that's what rabbi means. He, and, and, and in the King, New King James, that word teacher is capitalized because they're playing off the fact that he's using the word rabbi as a title. Rabboni would be a no, normal word for teacher, but this is a capital T teacher that they're expecting to be called. One is your teacher of the Christ, and you're all brethren. All of you are brethren, he says. Do not call anyone on earth your father. As a title. As a title. For one is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, capital T again, for one is your teacher of the Christ. So this is what Jesus says about this. But then he finishes by saying this. And I know he's talking about the elevation distinction between clergy and laity, between these teachers and rabbis and everybody else because he says he who is greatest among you shall be your servant whoever exalts himself shall be humbled he who humbles himself shall be exalted so there's the context jesus puts this in and that's why uh, gary and i would not wear a religious title at all we don't want to be called by religious titles even though we are doing the work of a pastor or a bishop or, uh, or an elder because that would exalt us above other people now, there's other ways to do it besides wearing titles, but that's certainly a way that we, we, should, we should treat each other with respect. But all of us are the same. Some have more experience than others. And this attitude needs to predominate among Christians in churches. But unfortunately, human beings love these titles, distinctions, honors, and you just can't get around it here in some churches. Beware of these people. Jesus is telling you here to beware of them. Well, anyway, I don't know if I went where you wanted to go with that or not, Gary. Well, I, I'm, I'm just going back to try to add something to this because I think that basically when you start elevating one part or one member or one job, if you will, you're taking away from what the rest of the people are supposed to be doing. It's a it, the it, body it, of Christ is a functioning body with all parts all, having all in parts working together, and we see that picture in in symbols throughout the New Testament. I don't have some of those right in front of me, but basically he he does say we are a holy nation. We are a priesthood. We are a chosen people, and he's talking about everyone who is a Christian. It's and, and it's a, that all of us are priests, not a special priesthood. Right, all of us all are of priests. Us are a holy We're, nation of people. That's right. the laity. Now, all of us are laity. All of us are God's heritage or God's clergy. Exactly. And so when we start exalting things, one or more or different things, and taking away the humility that ought to be a part of that, we're taking away from the whole. Yes. We're, we're degrading the whole thing. Right? I have I found that as one of my failings here. I don't want to go into the details of it because it wouldn't suit this show, but the, the more that I've taken on of my own to do over the years and just do things, that really the less everybody else does. 
We'll and see. then I end up complaining because nobody is helping me or nobody's doing anything in my own mind, and I've just created that very problem. I'm, I'm, that's what happens. Well, I may have gone a little bit the other way because when I first started, and you've been at this more than I have, I started about 39 years ago in uh, 1981. But one of the gentlemen that came to work with us was uh, basically had been an elder in Long Beach and in, uh, and in Houston. And I was doing a lot. I was, I was trying to teach. I was trying to help get the money and trying to keep as part of uh, helping Paul as a treasurer and doing these things. And he called me aside one day. And he says, Gary, you've got to let somebody else do some of this. Mm-hmm. He says, they need to be doing things too. Right. That's what my wife and tells me. They need to be doing some of these things. And when you step in, they pull back. And so I had I learned, and may, maybe I do that too much now, Mike, but, but basically that was a lesson I had to learn early. It can go both ways. If you've been given the gifts and the ability to, to lead and to do various things, you ought to do that. But, in, but wearing these titles and, and, distingu- and being distinct from people will allow them to say, well, he's the, he's the one, let him do it, you know. Yes. And so they will naturally back away. And that doesn't create a body, a functioning body of people. Right. And uh, the older and more incompetent I've become, I've had to lean on people more and more, so trying to overcome that problem a little bit. But there's, there's this whole business of separating the clergy and the laity and giving people titles is a, is a poison in, a, in churches very often. And lead pastors and this kind of thing and that kind of thing. It becomes a poison to the idea of a body that functions together. We've got about two minutes left. Well, I just wanted to bring that out, that, yes. that when we do that, it does two things. It, it, it tempts the person in that position to lose humility, which is mm-hmm. not, cr- not exactly. the thing to do. And that's what's going on with all the burnout stuff. Right. And it also takes away from some of the things that others should be doing. Right. So well, that, that, those were the points I wanted right. to bring out. All right. Well, as we wrap it up, I want to do two things. We'll give you a few conclusions, and we're going to talk about how you can get a hold of us next week when we're back on live. Elders, bishops, and pastors are the same office in the New Testament. And these offices have specific qualification in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. And they, and they have specific ways to do those to jobs. To do those works. The elders, plural, were in New Testament churches, not singular, not a pastor over a church. There's no mention of pastor, one pastor over a church or a senior pastor or anything like that. And Jesus warned about giving these religious titles and receiving the religious titles. Ministers, preachers, and evangelists may or may not be elders, bishops, or pastors, depending on their age and qualifications. And the real thing is, above all the elders of each church in a city is only the Christ. 1 Peter 5, 4 says that he is the arch elder, as it were, or arch shepherd, I should say. So there's only one of those arch anything. And he is the only connection between these individual bodies. That's that's right. Jesus Christ is the only only connection connection between between these individual churches. Right. Well, our time is gone today, but I do want to emphasize with you that we appreciate you listening. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. You'll find recordings going way back of this radio show and a lot of sermons on different topics that we preach here over the years. Take a look at that website, wearejustchristians.com. And we'd invite you to come and worship with us at our building at 10 o'clock for Bible study on Sunday morning, 11 o'clock for worship, and 7.30 on Wednesday night. And you can find us at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 
corner of California and Savona behind the Little Milk of Things shopping center. God bless you and hope to talk, be with you again next week. Thank you very much.